What's going on, Dolphins fans? Cal Krabs locked on Dolphins. Today is power to the pod. Your questions, your topics, your hot takes, plus a look at the Miami Dolphins' newest defender after an announced transaction yesterday. You are locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins. Lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director scouting at thedraftnetwork.com. Your host here on Locked on Dolphins today is Thursday, June 9th, 2022. And I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Blue Nile. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. Locked on Dolphins listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement jewelry. Use promo code locked on at checkout today. Power to the pod. It's anything and everything that you guys want to talk about. Have had a couple that have been sent in my way. Thought, hey, Thursday, we got happy hour tonight. We're going to go out and enjoy ourselves. Let's enjoy ourselves on Thursday morning, too, right? Like any hour can be happy hour. And I'm going to use the interaction opportunity with you guys to have that be our happy hour for the day today. But I haven't received any questions about this player yet, but this transaction the Dolphins announced, announcing that they had signed Porter Gustin, former pass rusher from the UCLA or USC Trojans, uh, spent the last couple of years with the Cleveland Browns, was on last year a uh, RFA, restricted free agent deal, and uh, a, a new addition for the Dolphins, continuing to do that thing that Chris Greer has always done, right, which is churn the bottom of your roster. They dropped off a, a defensive back in order to make this transaction happen. And what I have for you today is my scouting report on Porter Gustin from the 2019 NFL draft. And the reason why I thought this would be fun to talk about through the lens of Porter Gustin and who he is as a player, and he's been a fringe roster player since he came into the league. And I don't think that necessarily would have been a surprise. I had him ranked 275th the year he came out. My comp for him was Matt Roth. And obviously, like the fish tank with OJ and Seth, they have created this legend of Matt Roth based on like the stories that guys who played with Matt Roth had talked about with Matt Roth. But if you are old enough to remember the style of play that Matt Roth played with, and he came out of Iowa and he spent a little bit of time being like real big and dense and then leaning down a little bit. So his weight fluctuated a little bit uh, in the upper 200 pound range, like 270, 280, 290. So he was all over that range of weights and styles of play that come with that. So wanted to read. The, the quick synopsis that I have, I have strengths, weaknesses, red flags, summary. I have 10 positional traits. We're not going to read through them all. Uh, but just kind of want to tell you guys from the college perspective and then what Porter Gustin has shown himself to become in the NFL, uh, give you a little bit of an idea of this player that the Dolphins have brought in to, to compete for a potential roster spot. So uh, the games that I had watched were Alabama in 2016, Washington in 2016, Stanford and Texas in 2017, and then Texas and Colorado in 2018. So I watched six games. Comp was Matt Roth. His best trait was his run-defending ability. I had marked his worst trait as 
flexibility, which is your ability to play at high rates of speed on sharper angles, right? You think about pass rushers rushing off the edge, your ability to flatten, you know, you push for five, six yards depth on that offensive tackle, and then you got to turn that corner pretty sharp. Do you have the lower body mobility or are you stiff? Or are you flexible to get those feet to really stick in the turf and turn that corner tightly and carry force with you? Or if you try and turn that, are you going to pop straight up and then give up your body and your leverage and get washed out? I thought that was an area for Porter Gustin, uh, in part because of his build. Uh, he had a lot of muscle mass on his frame. He didn't really have a lot of flexibility in this game. Uh, durability was a red flag for him. My player synopsis for him was as such. Porter Gustin has, Gustin has been limited by several notable injuries throughout his time at USC, including a meniscus tear, a broken ankle, biceps injury, and more. His limited flexibility is a huge red flag for durability, and as such, it would be advised for Gustin to play as an interior defender where his tightness might be mitigated and allow him to play primarily against the run. He came through the draft process at six foot four and a half, 255 pounds, 33 inch arms. He did run a four, six, nine. So he had some, some linear twitch. He put up 31 reps on the bench press uh, for guys who play on the edge uh, as an outside linebacker. Uh, that was 92nd percentile. He did not do shuttles. And I don't think that's a coincidence, uh, but again, his vertical jump and broad jump were both 70th percentile or better for uh, edge rushers coming through the NFL draft process. Like to think you, you, you had him nailed down pretty well. Uh, he's listed at six foot five, 257 pounds. Uh, he was originally with the Saints as an undrafted free agent uh, and then was in Cleveland from 2019 to 2021. Uh, his career totals, 52 total tackles, one sack, two fumble recoveries since 2019. So where does this player potentially fit? For Miami, Porter Gustin, uh, in my mind, is competing for like the Brennan Scarlett role on the depth chart. Um, somebody who's kind of a hybrid edge linebacker type that you're not going to ask to play in space. He's not going to be taking zone drops, but on your early downs, based on the fact that he's still staying in the mid 250s if he was going to play inside like I had originally diagnosed you would have probably had to put 15 more 20 more pounds on him and just really mass him up uh you're going to play him on the edge he's going to be a hybrid player linebacker be out of a two-point stance maybe sometimes with his hand or a three-point stance and he's going to be placed over top of tight ends to the run strength and he is going to be charged with winning the point of attack keeping the edge or keeping the edge free for somebody stacked behind him to be able to flow and get outside if you run outside on him, and uh, just really control gaps. It's an unspectacular role. Somebody's got to do it. Raekwon Davis does it. Zach Sealer and Christian Wilkins at times do it, even though you see the flashes of them having penetration skill sets to be able to do more uh, and be more disruptive players. That's kind of the DNA of this defense. It's what they've been engineered to do, is we're going to control the line of scrimmage, we're going to have guys that are designated to make plays on any given play. And when your number's called, you, you got to be able to do it or you're going to be rotated out. Now, I do think Porter Gustin is probably a, a long shot to actually make the roster. Uh, I would say Brennan Scarlett is favored over him for that role. Uh, and then you obviously have the Emmanuel Agbas of the world and the Jalen Phillipses of the world. And uh, they drafted Cameron Good in this, the seventh round, and he's a little bit more of a finesse-type player. Um, but those are the guys that are all competing with each other for snaps. And once you get further down in the pecking order, you're competing for 
a roster spot. So I would say the, the guy who needs to most be dialed in right now is uh, Brennan Scarlett as somebody who Porter Gustin has overlap with his skill set versus who exists on the Dolphins roster already. Uh, we have some really good questions coming up, including questions about right tackle. We have a hypothetical about Brian Flores uh, and if he were still here, what it would mean for the Dolphins 2022 regular season. And we're going to get into that, but not before I tell you guys that if you are looking to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment in your life, you can find jewelry as unique as her with modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Make your moments sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. Locked on Dolphins listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement jewelry. Use code locked on. That's code locked on. Best of all, every order is insured. It ships free and it's sent in discreet packaging to not give away what is inside. Shop stress free and find your forever peace. Go to bluenile.com today. So it's now time for the listener question of Power to the Pod. Props to the Dolphins for giving me a little something to open the show with, wet everybody's whistle, talk a little Dolphins, pull out an old scouting report. Great. Love it. But now it's your turn. And the first thing I want to do is I want to revisit the question from Sam from last week on Power to the Pod when we did this on Friday. And Sam had asked, if you missed it, uh, what are your thoughts on Alex Rollins's Tua Tungvaloa breakdown video on YouTube? So I came out with a Trey Lance video and gave him much more benefit of the doubt than Tua, which I thought was curious. I at the time said, well, Sam, it's a great question, but I haven't watched the video, so I can't really speak to what, what Alex's thought process was. I watched the video. I made some time watch the video. And I think, generally speaking, Alex was, was objective. Uh, I think Alex's observations were relatively fair. Uh, your end result, I, I think it, it's very difficult to keep the same level of perspective between a Trey Lance and a Tua Tungvaloa with different sample sizes, right? And at the end of the day, everybody has certain things that they're going to come back to and choose to bet on. And I don't want to speak for Alex, but... The ease of a lot of people wanting to believe in Trey Lance still is he has more of the raw physical skills that really pop off the tape at you and say, oh, well, you look at oh, what Justin Herbert was able to do and what Josh Allen's been able to do and what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do. And these guys are really athletic and they have these big time arms. They can hit all the areas of the field from all different kinds of platforms, depending on where they're at. And like, you haven't seen that part of the game from Tua. <laughs> So I think because that narrative exists, whether it's fair or not, how justified it is, we're going to find out how improved Tua's uh, strength is this year. Um, that divide makes it very easy to give somebody who's still, like you would identify as a high, high, high traits guy, a little bit more benefit of the doubt. Versus, hey, if physically I, I think you only have a certain ceiling you can touch, that's kind of all I think you're going to be. Now. We'll see with Trey Lance because obviously we haven't seen a lot of Trey Lance. We saw just minuscule flashes last year, and those was the only opportunity he got. And then Jimmy Garoppolo played. But now the 49ers are keeping Jimmy Garoppolo home from OTAs to continue rehabbing his shoulder, and they're talking it up like they're going to trade him. 
I don't know what kind of trade market they're going to have for him. If he does stay, does he play? I have no idea. But if Jimmy Garoppolo holds Trey Lance out for another year, that to me would be a bigger red flag than anything Tua has put on the field. That, you know, you, you might have a disconnect between the tools and traits that exist and what the player's outcome is going to be. Two is a tough eval. And that that's, you know, that's something that I think it's it's really hard to maintain patience with a guy who had the kind of hype that he had coming out. And I think that's why you see a lot of the narratives that exist around. So uh, I did watch Alex's video. I think his his actual like football observations were, were pretty keen and I think he was pretty fair. Um, the one part you can't be objective about is where they go from here because it's a forecast and it's just a matter of a philo personal philosophy, whatever you're going to choose to buy into. So I enjoyed the video. I thought Alex did a, a pretty nice job breaking stuff down. So appreciate you putting that on, on my radar, Sam. The next question comes from perfect Finn 72. I always look forward to hearing your insights. Heard you say you'll be at the game week one for opening day. I'm actually taking my brother-in-law for his first Dolphins game. That was me not that long ago. It is, uh, I'm, I don't, I can't envision myself ever not being a part of several games per season ever again. Uh, we're in North Florida, so don't get the opportunity to make the five-hour drive very often. Maybe we'll run into you and talk ball for a few. Would love that. Question. In my opinion, the most memorable game from last year was the Thursday night game in Baltimore. Was there. Was amazing. I would agree. That's where the momentum shift was really felt. We got Baltimore week two at Baltimore. You know Lamar is anxious for his chance at redemption after we completely shut him down in primetime. How do you think we approach that game? Ooh. I hadn't read the full question. This is a good question. How do you think we'll approach that game from a defensive game plan approach? Do you think we will play cover zero again? To what extent? We never really saw it again to the extreme the rest of the season. I'd love for us to blitz him into oblivion once again, but not sure that's a realistic option. Thoughts? So there's a general, not written rule, but a generally accepted rule of thumb for uh, how to defend quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's when you get a young quarterback into the league, and I'd still call Lamar a young quarterback. Your first step is to blitz the shit out of them. Excuse my French. But you blitz them until they beat the blitz and show you that they can handle the blitz. Okay? And then you transition once they show you they can handle the blitz with consistency, and then you drop a lot of zone on them and try and make them throw in the windows. So for me, if I'm Miami, I come out and I want to do a lot of the same things again. Until they show you across a, across a drive or two that they are capable of defeating it. Because at the end of the day, like you can identify what you're supposed to do, but if you physically can't execute it, that's the difference between being like a coach or an actual player, right? I'm not saying Lamar Jackson's on the cusp of being a coach, but that's you could still know what to do, but if you physically can't execute it, it doesn't matter. And there were spots throughout the game where I thought Lamar knew where he was supposed to go with the ball. But physically, they did not execute. 
So I would come out planning to attack him the same way. And then I would have, building off of that, I'd probably have a lot of the same looks and then have a lot of drop eight, where you're dropping eight guys into coverage. You're going to have athletic guys on the second level, athletic guys on the edges, where they're going to be contained rushing him, and you're going to have athletic guys in those uh, middle zones so that if he takes up, uh, takes off and decides to run because he doesn't see a throwing window that he likes, you're going to have DBs capable of chasing him down. And that's where like a guy like Brandon Jones and Javon Holland have a lot of value because they're really good tacklers for safeties. That's how I would choose to build upon that matchup. But yeah, I would come out ready to punch him in the face again. Show me that you're going to be able to have the answers for zero. And when you do with consistency, then I'll get out, but I'm still going to show you pressure looks to get you into those checks. And then I'm going to drop everybody out and make you beat me that way. Make you pick me apart. Finn's fan 69. <laughs> nice. Great show. Long time listener since the Travis era. Take and totally impossible. I'm glad you led with that because if you weren't going to say it, I was. The Dolphins are Super Bowl favorites if Brian Flores is the defensive coordinator for this upcoming season. Remember, this is Finn's fan 69's take. I think he called the defense during the runs and Boyer struggled during the slumps. I like Boyer. This isn't a shot of him, but Flores' defensive mindset is top tier. So the, the thing that I can definitively agree with you and say is Flores', Flores defensive mindset is top tier. I think the last thing you said is the one thing that I can point to and say, hey, you're on to something here. I am not well in tuned enough to be able to confidently tell you anything about who was calling anything at what stretches of the season. Um, I also think the Dolphins, like the Dolphins defense is not getting hate right now. The Dolphins defense is getting a lot of love. So I don't know if Brian Flores versus Josh Boyer, despite some idiots on Twitter, um, which I saw the other day, Asking, like, who's the Dolphins defensive coordinator? And somebody responded with Josh Boyer, and he said, who? Who's that? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, the guy who's been the D.C. the last two years, you nut. Um, I don't know that Brian Flores in that role versus Josh Boyer would change the perception of the team because the Dolphins defense is already the one that's getting the love. That's the offense that has the questions. So I think I disagree with, with this take on that principle alone, uh, but I think you saying – there's no question the Flores defensive mindset and approach is it's it. It like, I love it. And that, that is a part of Brian Flores. I know there are dynamics of Brian Flores there that a lot of people aren't going to miss. Uh, and he, his perception has generally soured largely through the fan base. Um, I still will try to remember a lot of the good that came with that, just like I still try to remember the good that existed with Chan Gailey as the offensive coordinator, scoring 400 points, first time since 86, right? The Dolphins in 2020 and 2021 combined for 13 wins by more than one score. Uh, if you start at the last game of 2019 and go backwards, do you know how far you have to go to find 14, to, to find more wins by more than one score than what the Dolphins did in two years, the last two years? I'll wait. Week one of 2013. You're going to go from 2013 to 2019 to find as many two-score wins as the Dolphins had the last two years. Some of that, yeah, Flores' defensive mindset. Some of that in general, Flores as a head coach in general. 
I'll miss that part. But if it's for something better, I'll get over it pretty quick. And that's the hope, obviously, right? You're hoping for a more ba- well-balanced team than what the Dolphins were able to put together. Uh, we have questions about right tackle. We have questions about Connor Williams. We have a birthday wish coming up. But my wish for everybody is that you tap into our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They have 100% chocolate on all of their bars. Right now, you can visit Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and save 15% off your next order. That is Built.com, promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar, bar none, pun included. Okay. Question from Chad. What are you hearing from the team about right tackle? This is probably the only glaring weakness on the offense right now. I know we hate moving offensive linemen around, but I'm starting to think Rob Hunt should play the tackle spot. He can slide. He's our best option on the right side, and then Liam or AJ can slide into right guard. Okay, so my question here is who's playing center? Uh, is Connor playing center? Like it is being rumored that that's where the momentum's at. So now you're going to have Tehran, one of Liam or Austin, Michael Dieter, or excuse me, Connor Williams, the other of Liam or Austin Jackson, or Michael Dieter, if you want to include him there. And then Rob Hunt. I don't know that I dig it. Uh, right or wrong smart or unwise the dolphins drafted two offensive tackles with top 50 selections in the last three years two years three years austin jackson and liam eigerberg were drafted to play tackle they are going to give those guys every opportunity should they that's up for debate and maybe we get into camp and they sign a vet with tackle experience. Maybe. But I I don't envision they are going to move Rob again. Like, Rob is the one staple that you have from last year's line. As a good player. A really good player. His back half of the year last year, once he settled in at guard, was excellent. And I don't think I can, I don't think you're going to find a best combination of five that includes getting worse at two spots. Because now you're going to be worse at tackle because Rob Hunt's not going to be the same that he was at guard. And you're going to be worse at guard because you have a lesser player at guard. So I would expect Liam and Austin to throw down and battle it out. Um, I'm not saying Rob Hunt that's not the ultimate decision that they may or may not make. I'd certainly say it's in the realm of possibility, but it is not the decision that I would make. I'd want to keep a good player who's a young, good player who's still developing and only now just scratching the surface of what he's capable of. I'd want to leave him. A good guard can cover for a good tackle, just like a good tackle can cover for a good guard. I know with Tua, I would argue the interior pressure is almost more important for you to to sustain because he's not somebody who can see over those guys. So the better wall you have in front of him when he gets to his drop depth, 
the more space he has in front of him, he can actually see what's happening. Versus if a guy's in his lap, he can't see anything. He's just not built up. Pressure off the edge, you can always slide. You could step up. But only if the pocket's clean in the middle. So I don't think I'm on board with this one personally, at least right now. Uh, question from Benjamin. Has to do with Connor Williams. We did the Connor Williams thing earlier this week, and this was uh, submitted eh, about a week ago. So hopefully, uh, hopefully Ben, what we did on, on Monday touched on some of this, but I will read it, read and shout out the question, gave me a review of the show and, and submitted a question. So all the news, Connor Williams expects to play center this season. To me, this displays at least two areas of need at left guard and right tackle. It gives me a level of concern for the season. There's also a perspective of having strong left tackle center and right guard, which leaves no weak, weak links playing side by side, which could work out fine. How do you feel the situation and how will it pan out? Okay. So we obviously touched on it earlier this week with the Connor Williams episode, Ben, but you said something here that I think is really important. Perspective of having a strong left tackle center and right guard, which leaves no weak links playing next to each other. This is the most important thing that I think you could observe. You're not going to have five all-stars on your offensive line. You're just not. You're probably going to have at least one replacement level player. Where they are relative to one another matters. For the Dolphins last year, you had replacement level play for guys who were developing. So you don't want to throw the, the towel in on them totally. But you had replacement level play at left tackle and left guard. And right tackle. And you had sufficient play at center. And you had good play at right guard. As we just got done talking about with Rob, a good guard or a good tackle can help compensate for the other one. But if you if they're both bad, that's when it gets ugly. That's when it gets really ugly. And that's what the Dolphins' offensive line was last year. Really ugly. So I think from just a roster construction standpoint, my expectations is, is never you're going to have five quality starters. You, you get there, then you have icing on the cake. You have an elite offensive line unit, and you should be able to do from protection and run game perspective, whatever you want offensively. You might not always, it might not always hit, but you'll have anything and everything you could possibly do on the football field. If Toronto Armstead stays healthy and you have a linchpin at center, whoever it is, and then you have Robert Hunt, that stability in those three spots, okay, you can add a tight end on the protection and you can slide to the tackle or you can slide to the guard side to give the center help. And then put the tackle or the tight end on the backside to help with the tackle and chip release and get out of the back. But if your set, if your tackle's bad, your guard's bad, your other tackle's bad, there's no there's no protection in the world that you can do to to cover for that. It's gripping and ripping. White knuckles hold on for dear life. So I'm glad you made that observation. We have two more, including this one from DJ Swanny. Swimmy, swammy, slappy, little uh, dumb and dumber reference. Self-deprecating, it's fine. Uh, DJ, we'll just call him DJ and call it a day. Kyle, love the show. Been hooked since my son has been following you on Draft Dudes. Thank you. Appreciate the listenership. June 5th, my son Connor has been in touch with you a few times. It is his 24th birthday. Can you please wish him a happy birthday? Love sharing Finn stuff with him. He lives for the Finns. Thank you for being a Finns fan. This is awesome. DJ, uh, Connor. You get a great dad. And um, I love that you guys share the team together. It's not something that I have. 
my dad uh, is a Washington fan and, and a, a very casual NFL fan in general. Um, so the, the opportunity that you guys have to share the dolphins together, I think is really, really cool. So Connor, I wish you the happiest of birthdays. It is a, a couple days belated. My apologies for missing it. Uh, but thinking of you thinking of your dad, best wishes. I hope you guys enjoy the summer and I hope you get the best dolphin season of your life yet. I'm 33 and, um, I'm hoping for the best of mine too. So happy birthday, Connor. Our last one of the day comes from Mike from Denmark. You international guys, I love it. One of my fears going into this season is that we get another slow start from the Dolphins. It's a very realistic possibility. I think this is particularly concern on offense and hearing Mike Westoff's comments about practice. He saw it makes me worry even more. Is he just too old-fashioned and worrying about things like music, which really doesn't matter? Or is this a manifestation that they have a lot of work to do for the offense to click. I'm totally unconcerned with Mike Westoff's comments about the offense. It's the first week of June, and you're in install in shirts and shorts. Again, for a run-heavy offense. Yeah, the passing game is going to struggle, especially when you're going against Xavier Howard, Javon Holland, and Byron Jones. I am so unconcerned with guys that are learning. I don't know if you guys saw it. Honest NFL. Here you go. Here's the, here's the context. Honest NFL. It's a Twitter account from somebody within the league. They remain anonymous, as many of the guys within the league do. Um, but he put out the from the playbook, and, and I've seen elements of this. I have not seen all of this. But he put out elements of this the caption is, this is Miami's new route tree. Waddle and Hill should feast. The handle on Twitter is at the honest NFL. And it has routes. Every route. It has routes from the backfield. Routes from the tight end. Routes from the wide receivers. And every single route that is tagged, whether it's stick china, swirl, tree, branch, through, through was the route that we had the Ezukama uh, target that everybody lost their minds over because it was a touching complete. Every single one of these routes has rules based on the coverage that you're getting. So it's all, you're, you're making sight adjustments. For example, the through route, set initial angle at the near high safety, right? So if you remember the Ezukama play that went viral from Keon Crossan's Twitter account in which Ezukamna comes in motion across the set and they get in a tight bunch to the right of the quarterback and Ezukamna presses up and he runs his route. There's originally two high safeties. The safeties roll down. So now you're in a one high safety lick. Well, the adjustment is if you have one safety, your objective is no longer to run the route at the near safety, it's to run the route across the face of the single high safety. It changes the landmark, right? Here's the description and adjustments on the through route by itself. One safety versus two safety. Two safeties set the initial angle at the near high safety. Work to get over top of the mic and then break to daylight. Around eight yards, make a decision to get over the top of the mic or cross his face. So you are identifying as the receiver, where's the safety? I got to set my initial angle to him. 
And then at eight yards of depth, I've got to make a decision to go over or under the mic. You know what happened on that route? Linebacker cut the route. He had the bubble to get up over it. And the throw was that far off. If there was better decision, would it have been complete? Because the timing would have been better. I don't know. Maybe it was a bad ball from Tua. I don't know. How about the thunder route? Sell go route for six yards of depth. Turn and show your quarterback the numbers. Do not be short, which means don't run your route short. Got to get six yards. Versus cloud corner, which means the corner's playing flat and squatting in the flat. You got to convert to a fade route. Versus press man, you run a stop route, which means you push further. Sell the route to eight yards. Turn in and come straight back down the stem. Expect the ball on the outside shoulder. It's one route. These are all things. Two years ago, the Dolphins receivers, and, and it's not the same wide receiver group, but two years ago, the Dolphins wide receivers have said, yeah, just go out and get to this spot. I don't care how you get there. That was a Chan Gailey offense. Now you have effectively site adjustments on every single route based on the coverage. You don't think these guys aren't going to be on the same page? With install in June? When they've had like four or five weeks of a couple days a week, a couple hours as compared to training camp where you're every day, and then you get a month of preseason games? I'm so unconcerned with Mike Westoff's comments, it's not even funny. Aaron Rodgers, relax. R-E-L-A-X. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to be taking a look at it, uh, the, the, an athletic profile and identifying the most and least athletic members of the Miami Dolphins roster, which I think is a really fun conversation. Point shout out to my friend Joe Marino over at Locked On Bills. Uh, he did it for the Bills roster. We're going to do it for the Dolphins roster. Very much looking forward uh, to digging into some metrics about the Dolphins from a big picture view, so plan accordingly. Fins up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. I'm Kyle Krabs. Thanks, as always, for listening. Make it a great Thursday. I'll talk with you all again tomorrow.